Well, the first thing I think he would do would be to stand up and tell the truth. I mean, he had a great expression that was uh, just tell the truth and watch them scatter. So the further away the problem is, uh, the easier it is to postpone action on it. And that's essentially what we're doing. Be real, because people in New Hampshire are really cool. I'd say get in the game. This is a problem facing your generation. You have to have a voice in the decision. Welcome to Facing the Future, brought to you by the Concord Coalition on WKXL, New Hampshire's talk radio station. My name is Tori Gorman, and I'm filling in today for your regular host, Bob Bixby. Each week, we take a nonpartisan dive into topics related to the federal budget, the economy, and how they affect our nation's future. Today, I am very excited to welcome economist Claudia Somm to our show. If you follow the Federal Reserve, if you follow inflation, and if you followed the recession debate earlier this year, then you've probably seen, heard, or read some of her commentary. She has been everywhere this year. Claudia is an expert in fiscal and monetary policy and forecasting, skills that she deployed while serving as a section chief at the Federal Reserve and as a senior economist on the Council of Economic Advisors for the Obama administration. In fact, she is such a good economist that while she was at the Fed, she created a highly accurate recession indicator called the SOM rule, which the Fed still uses today, which we'll discuss later on in the show. Claudia is the founder of Stay at Home Macro Consulting and Substack, and the name is a, uh, a nice play on the spelling of her last name, S-A-H-M, Stay at Home Macro, so it's easy to remember. Go look her up. And here's where her resume gets really cool, in my opinion. She has advised decision makers at the White House, at the Federal Reserve, and the Halls of Congress. I, I have career envy already. She holds, she also holds a master's, or excuse me, a PhD in economics from the University of Michigan. So welcome to the show, Claudia. Well, thank you. And thank you for such a kind introduction. I'm really excited to be here today. Uh, I'm really happy you can, you made the time. So let's talk inflation. Let's dive right into the issue of the day. Um, there's a healthy debate in economic circles today about whether the high inflation that we're experiencing is the result of supply shocks that haven't yet unraveled or too much emergency COVID spending or profit taking by big corporations or maybe all of the above. What do you think and why is it important to get that diagnosis correct? Let me start with the fact that inflation is too high, right? Regardless, you'll hear debates about what caused inflation and sometimes it gets lost. And sometimes you might think that some of the economists, especially ones like me who do think this is temporary and it is going to abate, I, I see you, right? The prices have gone up, particularly when we think about necessities like food and energy and housing. This is a big problem. And frankly, those are exactly the parts of the cost of living. The Federal Reserve has very weak tools over. And actually, they can make things worse. Mm -hmm. So we had a longstanding problem, particularly with housing going into this crisis. And I hope my thin silver lining of this better be that policymakers figure it out. The Fed can't solve all these problems. And we have to deal with problems we went into COVID with. Unaffordable housing, high cost of higher education seniors that can't buy the medication they need. So we had big problems going into this. COVID and Putin have made them so much worse. High inflation is one place that we absolutely see it. There are immediate actions, policymakers, I mean, the Federal Reserve, but also the White House and Congress have done 
a fair bit to get particularly gas prices down right now and like set out a plan going mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. But your question was, let's look back. How did we get here? It, for a while, I thought, well, it's not so important how we got here. We need to get inflation down. We have to. But actually, that's not true. And as I've thought more about the inflation debate, I understand how uh, you you really need to know how we got here to have good advice on how to get to a better place. Right, right. There has been a lot of discussion that the high inflation now was due to, in particular, the rescue plan. So the last $2 trillion package that was put out in March of 2021, I worked on that package. I advised Congress. I am, if you got your $1,400 stimulus checks, uh, I get a little bit of a thank you there. I'm going to say say thank you, Claudia. Yeah. And in particular, I was firm from my research that those needed to go to middle class families, too. We we really COVID um, surveys out of the um, Census Bureau showed that about half of U.S. families lost some kind of income during COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's massive. I mean, our crisis was massive. And so it was very hard to know who needed help. I had some peers like uh, Larry Summers, who was very against the rescue plan, still is, uh, that said that in particular, much of the relief, like the stimulus checks, went beyond the imperative of need in 2021. And I felt very strongly that I, I'm not in a position to know who's in need and he isn't either. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, unlike after the great recession and the Obama administration, I truly believe, and I am heartened to see that we did it. You swing for the fences, right? right? Go big for people. If you do too much and we are dealing to some extent, it did contribute to some of the inflation, we got money to people that really needed it. We have an amazing labor market, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Yes. But I, what when we look at inflation now, the it is clear that there was, we put a lot of money in people's hands, right? And small businesses. So yes, there was, and the economy reopened. Like regardless if you got those stimulus checks, you've been sitting at home. And frankly, some of the rich people are the one that can afford three vacations in two months. So there was, as the vaccine came out, in the spring of 2021, the world really reopened. There was this massive pent up, de- up demand and, and people normally wouldn't have money to go get in on that. And that was exactly the time that the supply chains, they didn't heal. It turns out customers can come back a lot faster yes, than yeah. the stuff we want to buy. And frankly, customers came back faster than workers for a lot of different reasons. So if you have too much demand and not enough supply, you'll get inflation. Now, that's a pretty simple story. And while I am not, there's a narrative of greedflation that big businesses are price gouging. Um, I mean, we live in a shareholder capitalism economy. I'm not gonna tell a corporation, do something that's not in your best interest. I mean, they're pretty straight up on what they are. Uh, Though I do think probably some businesses took some advantage. And we do have companies, particularly in the energy sector, that have what is referred to as extraordinary profits. Mm-hmm. And there is a case in times like that to very, there's a very specific way to do it that doesn't discourage them from producing in the future that would tax those profits. But it'd be like a one-time thing. Um, that's another example of something Congress could do. But I don't, I don't expect this to happen. Right. Uh, so we had inflation and some of it is demand-driven. 
But those pieces about the supply chains were broken. The workers couldn't come back. Remember, and in the summer, there was this, you know, I was part of team transitory, inflation's coming down, these things, you know, workers are coming back, things are reopening, schools are going to reopen. And in fact, inflation had started coming down in the summer into the fall. Then we got Delta. Then we got Omicron. We have gotten just multiple variants. We have millions of people that have long COVID. We lost a million Americans. Mm-hmm. And then Putin, right? So we have had repeated tragedies. And I often say, uh, you know, no, inflation was not transitory. We still have legit too high of inflation, particularly in many of the necessity goods. COVID wasn't transitory. Putin is not transitory. So, and this is important. It's not about, yeah, it's okay. I was team transitory. Like, I don't, I really, I'm a good macro policy person. It's not about me. Right. And I was a forecaster for 10 years. You can't do forecasts and get it right, but you have to try your hardest. And at the Federal Reserve, trying your hardest is you go to the data. Mm-hmm. You use the tools you have. You understand that in, in crises, particularly in a recession, the tools don't work so well. Right. I, I mean, the data is crises all the time. And then one of the things that I was trained at the Fed is you you tell the story. Right. You have to have an intellectually consistent. I mean, I worked on what's called the judgmental forecast. Right. You apply judgment from years, decades of working in that space. You still can be wrong. The Fed was absolutely wrong on their forecast of COVID. I mean, they were wrong on Putin. I think a lot of people would have been grateful if they'd gotten the Putin forecast right. Like we could have done. um, But uh, and those things are real factors. And. And the near when there was a discussion about the rescue plan will cause inflation, none of the inflation hawks, none of the people that said don't send out the checks talked about Delta and Omicron. None of them talked about supply chains are so much more fragile than we thought. No one talked about there are a lot of workers that are sick or have caregiving. So it's important if you are right for the wrong reason, then when people come back to you and say, what should we do next? You will give bad advice. Much of the advice coming from the inflation hawks is Fed, go, go, go. The Fed has the tools to cool off demand-driven inflation. Like basically they can make us all a little bit poor, throws people out of work, make it harder to borrow. Um, They're not callous about this is their tool. If that were the only source of inflation, I would be more sympathetic to what the Fed is doing. Mm -hmm. They've done too much, but I'm sympathetic. But that's not... We have supply driven and like something in housing, the Fed makes it worse. They're not going to be building more housing when interest rates and mortgage rates are just through the roof. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where there's a balance. Right. You know, and you have to address the problem that you actually have. OK, so so let's talk about you mentioned uh, you've been a very vocal critic of the Federal Reserve, that it's moving too aggressively. It's been raising interest rates too big too fast to tame inflation and that bad things are on the horizon if they don't slow down. But the September inflation report was a stunner. Okay. Core inflation hit a 40 year high despite five months of previous interest rate increases. So why should the fed slow down? What do you see? There is disinflation. So this is factors that will push down consumer price inflation we see them. We see them in official data. 
this isn't just, oh, somebody's pulled together like a shipping cost indicator and supply. This is in data that will eventually show up in CPI. So in particular, producer prices. So mm-hmm. what would it cost Target to buy the teddy bear that my son's going to want? They're finally like paying less and less. In some cases, prices are falling, right? And in energy intensive goods, you've seen them fall. And this has been going on for months. Now, the Target gets to decide when they make it cheaper for me to buy my teddy bear or how fast. So a business gets to decide. There have been reports for months that not only is it cheaper for Target to get the teddy bears, they've got a whole bunch of them in the back mm-hmm. that they need to sell. And But a business gets to decide when, like if it's cheaper for me to do my work or get my, when do I pass that on to consumers? Do I pass it on? Like right now people are still buying. So sure. I mean, these businesses, if you're short-sighted enough, it's like, you know, if you keep raising prices, the Fed will keep going and we will be in a recession and you won't have anyone that wants to buy your teddy bear, right? So there is a process that like, I wish we were, Uh, thinking about it, but I spend time now talking to businesses um, to try and understand how they're thinking through this, because I would really like to know when this is going to show up in CPI, right? (laughs) Right, Or what consumers are paying. And I have been talking for actually months and months to a small business owner. He runs, he and his brother, one of the like, you know, well-known bars in Ann Arbor, which is where I went to grad school. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, it is, they are starting to pay less for the food that they need to, you know, run the business. Mm-hmm. They said, we're not ready to cut prices yet. And, and some of it's just it, like, just random things. Like the city of Ann Arbor decided to tear up the street in front of his bar all summer. And like, now it's cold to so the outside seating. Like, he's like, we lost money right. in the last few years. And now we have a chance to like, make it up. And to me, that is not price gouging. Mm-hmm. That is not greedflation. And even with Target, they're just doing what they do. Um, so, but that's one where, I know, and we all know from very carefully collected statistics that those prices businesses are getting their stuff with are coming down. Um, And particularly when you look month over month, like whatever's happening recently, wage growth for low wage workers has slowed a lot. That's another input cost. We, another thing that's a little wonky, but I'll explain it is uh, import prices. Mm -hmm. So the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates very quickly and a lot. I was with them until like the last couple of meetings. So I think they've done enough and they need to be kind of patient. As they raise interest rates, that means that buying U.S. treasuries, that's, that's good. I mean, it pays off for investors. And we have raised interest rates more quickly than many of our peer countries, such as in Europe. And, and so investors abroad want to buy U.S. treasuries. Well, it turns out you got to buy them in dollars. So the demand for dollars has gone up in the so the strength of the dollar relative to other currencies, and this is like the whole advanced world. I mean, the dollar is really strong. Well, that means that when Target goes to buy the teddy bear that is off, you know, created in uh, somewhere in Asia, well, it's cheaper, right? And again, that's another, I mean, that's even separate could be related, but it's even separate than these producer wholesale prices because some of those could be domestically sourced, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another place where, and this one is tough because it's it's a, a beggar thy neighbor strategy. Like we are importing disinflation. So things that will eventually push down inflation, 
because eventually competitive forces will get, you know, the businesses to lower prices or at least stop raising them so quickly, which is what inflation is, the increases. Um, but we're exporting inflation. We're making it more expensive for, in particular countries in Europe that are the front line against Putin. We, we are pushing inflation at them and they're already dealing with really high energy inflation. So we're gonna bring down US inflation. It's clear it's coming. It, it makes me, it makes me sad that Americans are paying more and especially the necessities, but it also makes me sad that we're solving it by destroying demand in other countries. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, I, I think that's a great point. And I want to get to that um, mm -hmm. in, in just a second, because okay. I, I, I think that's a point that, that we need to explore. Um, so let's, let's open up this discussion about your concerns for both the United States and the global economy in light of these rate hikes. And let's talk about the United States first. Wall Street seems to think that a U.S. recession next year is a sure thing. I mean, who was it? Was it Bloomberg economists that said they were out last week saying 100% certain. They think the Fed is gonna have to mimic Paul Volcker in the 1970s and raise interest rates above the rate of inflation to tame it, and in doing so, cause a recession. So do you think that the U.S. is necessarily headed for a recession? Can, can we avoid one? A recession is not inevitable. A severe recession, like what Paul Volcker engineered in the early 1980s, that is absolutely not inevitable. And frankly, if we get there, there have been some massive policy mistakes made, in particular by the Federal Reserve. We come into this moment as a, the strongest of the advanced economies. Well, we have inflation that is high, and this is a problem. We had a job full recovery. We have unemployment rates low. We have people that have gotten wage increases that frankly businesses have told us were never worth a wage increase. I mean, low, low wage service workers have got increases. People have moved to better jobs. There's, a, there's far more recovery in the full-time work than the part-time. A lot of those part-time jobs are really crappy jobs, right? So we came into this and Americans, they have income. They are spending. U.S. economy, 70% of it is consumer spending. Right. We will, we are in such a better place than Europe, even many parts of Asia, and definitely emerging more poor countries in the world. And if we screw that up, I mean, we have done a major disservice to this economy. I see this moment, like this last chance to get this right. Uh, we, the Federal Reserve, they've seen mortgage rates are up really high. House right. prices have turned over the rental markets, things that are telling us, look, Fed, you, you did it. Mm -hmm. You passed it like the things that where the Fed shows up. There is a longstanding under, um, appreciation for the fact that the uh, monetary policy works with long and variable lags. Exactly. What that means in like normal speak is it takes time. The Fed affects interest rate sensitive sectors first. I mean, they raise interest rates. So housing is a place, auto loan, places where people typically have to take out loans that have interest rates. That's where the Fed first affects. Uh, and then it has to feed through in terms of realtors lose their jobs and they have less to spend. And then other people, like, other people get laid off and they have less to, to spend. So it takes time. That's the long piece. And the variable is like what I was talking about before. We don't actually 
the businesses decide inflation. So we don't know exactly when it shows up, but it is so clear that they have loaded a lot into the pipeline, which could be appropriate. But now is the time to be patient. We see it working. We know it's coming, but it's not here yet. And I can't predict when it is, but it's it's very clear from what we see broadly in the data. It's coming next year, unless the asteroid hits. I mean, that would be inflationary too, right? So I don't, um, but, but the signs are there. And frankly, the Federal Reserve is being not like the Fed because they were, it's 2022, not 1978, right? And so um, it's frustrating, but I have full faith in the Fed to do the right thing, but they got to start doing it real fast. You're listening to Facing the Future. This is Tori Gorman filling in for your regular host, Bob Bixby. We're talking with economist Claudia Son today, and we'll hear more after a few short messages. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm Concord Coalition Policy Director Tori Gorman, filling in for your regular host, Bob Bixby. Let's get back to our conversation with economist Claudia Song. All right, this seems like as this talk about recession and whether or not the U.S. economy is headed for recession seems like a really good time to talk about the SOM rule. Uh, During your tenure at the Federal Reserve, you developed an index that is really good at spotting recessions. In fact, it was so good that the Fed gave it a name. They called it the SOM rule after you, and they still track and publish it today. You can just Google SOM rule and boom, there it is. So first, congratulations. I don't know of any other economist with their own statistics. So job well done. Um, Second, what data does the SOM rule use to draw conclusions about the economy? And is it pointing towards recession? Mm-hmm. Oh, the first thing I'll say is the Fed didn't give it the name. They love me, but I'm not sure they love me that much. Uh, <laughs> it was, I actually developed it for a volume called Recession Ready. It was run by the Hamilton Project at Brookings. And the whole, um, and this was written in 2019. And it was about when the next recession comes, how can we do better to help people and businesses and and communities? My chapter was on as soon as a recession starts, you send out stimulus checks. I've done a lot of research on the different times of support that were given to families in the Great Recession, what worked, it didn't work so well. And so I knew stimulus checks were a powerful way early on to kind of blunt the effects of the recession and just help people when everything is starting to go wrong. So to do that, I had to have an indicator of when do you send out the checks? Uh, The federal government might get a little fussy with me if I had a proposal that sent out $300 billion and it didn't turn out to be a recession. Now, I doubt people would be upset about that, but I mean, in terms of the budget and like, you know, doing stuff. And so that's why the SOM rule exists. It really never was. I had no idea I was going to become an expert on are we in a recession or not, uh, which has not been fun the first half of this year, but I'm happy to help. I think it was useful in the discussion. So the idea of the SOM rule is, you look at the national unemployment rate. To me, the reason that we hate recessions, the reason we fight recessions is millions of workers lose their jobs. And Americans, most Americans do not have the financial cushion, the money in the bank to deal with the loss of a paycheck, especially a sudden loss of a paycheck. So you look at the national unemployment rate, I take a three month moving average. We never want to freak out over one piece of data, even if it's like the last monthly CPI, like things happen, right? So I take a three month moving average. I compare the latest um, number to the low over the prior 12 months. And if 
if right now we're half a percentage point higher or more, we are within the first few months of a recession. It doesn't forecast a recession, but it tells us it's here. And I mean, the COVID recession was very unusual that it was just like, it was here and the bottom fell out. Most recessions, like the Great Recession, it took, they kind of start slowly, but a half a percentage point is not much mm-hmm. on the unemployment rate. But historically, once the labor markets, once workers start to lose their jobs, their paychecks, and they, they spend less, right? It's a dynamic that keeps going. And I mean, in the Great Recession, it you know moved. It was a half a percentage point up, and then it was many percentage points up, right? So the idea is, Amanda Samuel is workers are starting to lose their jobs. This is going to keep going. Now, now is the time that if we get money out, we might be able to short circuit or at least blunt that dynamic. Because again, we're getting people in money, money in people's pockets that maybe have suddenly lost either they lost their jobs or they got their overtime cut or yeah i mean there's just a lot of factors so that's um and it's money in their pockets before the electricity is turned off before the foreclosure before the landlord shows up the door before you know yeah exactly yeah because when i mean we're all in this together so if millions of americans start getting into a bad place it it does eventually affect not all of us the one percent are okay i don't worry about them but i mean for most people it can have negative um, adverse consequences. So we need to take it seriously and get going right at the beginning. Now, early this year, uh, we had two quarters. So the first half of this year, uh, gross domestic product adjusted for inflation declined. Right. And typically that's kind of a rule of thumb. And not all countries have this, like, we actually have this group of old guys and now there's some women uh, that are called the national they're at the national bureau of economic research so these are very top academics and they're on what's called the recession dating committee which no one should allow them to put you on a date um, <laughs> although i did marry one of the guys uh i've met my husband through one of the daughters and you know e- economists it's probably best we keep to our own um, <laughs> Anyways, digression. Uh, they, after the fact, they will sit down and they look at a whole number of indicators, including GDP, but also the labor market data and production data. Like they look at a wide range of statistics. Two quarters of GDP is not enough for them to call a recession, but not all countries have this metric. And, and it's a very typical one. So the alarm bell started going off when we had two quarters. I knew it was going to get rough when like Cardi B is tweeting at night mm-hmm. about recessions. I was like, oh my gosh, my press is going to be a mess. But it was really instructive for us to talk about what is a recession. Right. In the first quarter, the the decline in GDP was driven by um, like a big shift in how net exports contributes to GDP. Now, remember, we had all these trade disruptions. So it's a little, I mean, it's a real thing. But it's not typically a sign of what's happening next. And then in the second quarter, we had this swings in inventories. I mean, inventories are really complicated how they get into GDP. I still have nightmares when I was on <laughs> forecasting inventories. But like, again, it was this factor. There was a real factor, but it's not something. I mean, you would never call a recession on two quarters of GDP. But in particular, when you know why the GDP swung, like then it's just like, no way. Then... What really sealed the deal of we were not in a recession, we are still not in a recession, is the labor market is really good. The unemployment rate is close to its 50-year low. We have been adding hundreds of thousands of jobs every month. 
we're well above pre-COVID pace. So, I mean, at, at some point to just, like I was really overloading with the recession press. I was like, look, if you want to have a job full recession, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, GDP contracting, but people have jobs. Like, I mean, the world is so upside down and backwards and the economic statistics have not fit together in the kind of puzzle pieces normally. But really, if I had to choose, I want people to have their jobs. Now, just because they have them now doesn't mean this time next year will have them. And the tragedy is there are people that are going to lose jobs. The unemployment rate is almost certainly going to increase I am of the opinion that it does not have to increase to say 6%. Right. You will hear some of my peers saying we need 6% unemployment. I was like, no, we, that is the last thing we need right now. Um, but we, we could get it if we're not careful, but that is not baked in the cake. And, and it also, it's absolutely, it's not even like the economic models that go behind saying we need a 6% unemployment rate are from the late 1950s. And, frankly, are absolutely not appropriate right now because we have this um, supply-driven inflation, right? right? Like it's just bad, 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 bad. And then it sounds horribly callous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if we, if the last thing I'd say is recessions are supposed to be unpredictable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, my indicator is good for saying we're in one. There are um, tools that are used to forecast recessions, but they're not very accurate. Like sometimes they turn on correctly and sometimes they don't. And some it's like, well, it's sometime in the next three years. I mean, like things that are not like super helpful as predictors. For the last year, there have been people out there, a recession is coming, a recession is coming. And it's like, okay, we do have the ingredients of a recession. And when Paul Volcker came in to Fed chair in early eight, they were engineering a recession. They had had a decade of high inflation. There were inflation mentalities that had set in um, that's what they were trying to do. The, tre- the Fed is not trying to cause a recession, but there was this idea of, well, they're gonna do this and so it's coming. And my greatest frustration with this is if you have a year, a year and a half heads up on a, re- a recession, we should be spending every waking hour trying to figure out how to avoid it. And if not, and I've been working on this both in the US and in Germany recently, what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. How can we best help families in an environment where inflation is high? So we don't want to make that worse. There are ways to do this. Right. So, and so it's very frustrating um, that we're just, and for mar- financial markets, like you can make real money if you get that date right. Mm-hmm. But what a lousy way to make your money. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Germany. I want to come back to this idea that the United States has been importing deflation and exporting higher interest rates and, and inflation el- elsewhere uh, around the world. Um, you mentioned Germany, but we've also seen some economic upset in the UK recently, some very disturbing trends. Let me play devil's advocate for a moment. Why and I don't mean to sound callous when I say this. I'm just, I know I'm just where you're going with this. <laughs> why should Americans care about the economy in Germany, the mm-hmm. UK, or even more broadly, the EU, or even in China, which is experiencing uh, an unbelievable slowdown? How does a recession over there affect Americans over here? Yeah, it will come back to us. Mm-hmm. It, it won't be the like Europe and China will break first. 
we have to keep in mind the United States, we have well over a $20 trillion economy. We are the largest economy in the world. If Europe goes into a severe recession, which their recession is inevitable and that Putin gets the thanks for that, but they will go into a recession. It could be a, it could be a very severe recession, a lot of hinges on if we get a mild winter and they do good policy. The United Kingdom has got to like step it up here. Mm -hmm. um, but if Europe goes into a severe recession or even a like real recession, not a mild one, and China's growth stagnates, which for them is basically like a recession because their growth is, I mean, it's a huge step down in growth. Then they're bigger than us. You start putting together the global economy. The United States is big, but we're not that big. Right. Right. And so, again, it, it doesn't necessarily cause a severe recession here, but it's like if we had just dodged the Fed's war on workers and the U.S. economy this year and inflation is coming down and then we get the like tsunami of like we're not we're not in that strong of a place and we're not that big of an economy. And frankly, as the supply chain should have reminded us, we're kind of in this together. Right. right. There's a lot of interconnectedness and maybe over time policy will um We'll see more onshoring, more friend shoring. There's obviously industrial policy. Like I think semiconductors gonna be more produced here. That is gonna take time. Like we are not decoupled from the rest of the world. So that's that's one piece. That'll take a while. The other one that is the Fed is um, playing with fire right now. And and these events have moved quickly. The world economy has deteriorated quickly, and so I try not to be too angry at them but like i work there i know they see this and i know that they know they're playing with fire the federal reserve by raising the interest rates they're pushing other central banks to raise interest rates um and they've been the fed has gone really fast right and what we've learned is speed matters right the financial markets are they're a bit of a china shop right now mm -hmm. the fed has contributed to that it's not the only covid root of all evil, Putin, root of all evil. They have created a massive amount of uncertainty. Markets hate uncertainty, right? And and the Fed is actually creating uncertainty because like, go, 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 right? And, you know, anyway, so then um, the United Kingdom with was referred to as the mini budget. So the trust uh, prime minister, when she took office, her uh, chancellor, the equivalent of the treasury secretary, put out this budget. It wasn't like a full budget, hence mini. Uh, and it, so it wasn't completely thought out and it injected even more uncertainty. It's like, how are you going to pay for this? What are you going to cut? What's why, why are you doing this right now? Like we have an energy crisis. And um, so she unleashed a bull into the China shop. And we saw very quickly um, the pound dropped even faster relative to the dollar. I mean, they were already weak and then it weakened further. Uh, gilts, which are the equivalent of their treasuries, just shot off the roof. And honestly, that's what a banana republic uh, looks like in financial markets. Now, they did get it under control, but that but it was very like the way the Bank of England intervened, like the whole thing was like, oh, wow. Now, the implications for the United States are the world is in a fragile place. If you make bad policy decisions, you could blow something up. And frankly, the United States financial markets well, it's not like going into the financial crisis. They are not, like things could blow up. And then we have a big problem and that could happen soon. So 
yeah, we're, we're all in this together and policymakers have got to like get it together. You're listening to Facing the Future. I'm Tori Gorman, filling in today for your regular host, Bob Bixby. We'll hear more from economist Claudia Sam, plus take a look at the latest figures on last quarter's GDP growth after a few short messages. Welcome back to Facing the Future. This is Tori Gorman, filling in for your regular host, Bob Bixby. In this segment, we'll hear from the rest of my conversation with economist Claudia Sam, who has both worked for the Federal Reserve and served as a White House economic advisor. We'll also take a look at the latest numbers on real gross domestic product, which came out last week. This is something I put up a blog post about in my role as the policy director for the Concord Coalition. For now, though, let's hear the rest of my interview with Claudia Sam. But I've got one question here that's going to wrap everything up and and I'm going to give I'm going to editorialize a little bit. So so be patient. But I think this is important um, for better, or for worse. Politics and economics, they go hand in hand. Um, James Carville is famous for taping a sign on the wall of Bill Clinton's campaign office that said it's the economy, stupid. Uh, The midterm elections in 2022 and the presidential election in 2024 will have enormous consequences, both for our democracy, our freedoms. But history instructs us that sustained economic unrest, whether it's big recession, big inflation, big unemployment, it leads to the rise of nationalism and autocratic leaders. What can you say to folks that may be sitting at home? despondent at their kitchen table after nearly three years of COVID, economic whiplash, high inflation, and give them hope that the Federal Reserve and other central bankers around the world are going to get this right, that we don't need to throw out the great American experiment. We don't need to throw it out the door in 2022 and 2024 and elect autocratic leaders to achieve prosperity. The Fed doesn't care. I, this is not, I mean, they have a job to do is to bring inflation down. They have been very clear. They call it softening of the labor market. Mm -hmm. Softening of the labor market is a euphemism for we need to get you all out of jobs. And so you spend less and inflation comes down. I get in a lot of trouble for, I've started calling it the Fed's war on workers, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's what it is. Right. And I don't, I'm not to say that Jay Powell, who's Fed chair, doesn't love people. I'm just saying that the Federal Reserve right now, they're they motivated on we need to maintain our credibility. I want you to find me someone other than these inflation hawks that squawk around on the news all the time who thinks the Fed is not serious about fighting inflation. It's like, come on, this is what. But they are putting their credibility, their institution ahead of the American people. And after the Great Recession, they did not do enough. The Fed saved Wall Street. They did not save Main Street. I mean, Congress did not help. Uh, as the recovery went on, the Fed always gets blamed. When the Republicans came into office with the Tea Party, there was a very strong end the Fed coalition. I actually had to do some work um, with the Congressional Research Service about it actually would be tough to audit the Fed and like kind of need the Fed. This time, if they get this wrong and they're I mean, the Fed is putting the institution's existence on the line. And mm-hmm. frankly, if they don't shape up, well, I'm not going to run around with the like sign saying and the Fed. But I right now we have uh, officials who are not elected. They are not accountable to the American people. This is true in the United States and around the world. And they are working against fiscal policy that is trying to 
I mean, as the United States is sending tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine to support the war effort, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to make it more expensive. Right. Right. They are increasing the bill for the American people who are trying to defend democracy. In Europe, it's it's just as egregious. It's like, what are you doing? And this t- it's like they are so far out of line. And then there was a big ethics scandal last yeah. week where one of the Reserve Bank presidents was doing private off-the-record events for investors. Right at this point, I mean, I am so angry at the Fed, and they are so far out of their lane that... I mean, I, I can't lie to people. I mean, you have an undemocratic institution, a small number of men and women, some of which have very questionable ethical decisions, and they're calling the shots and their decisions over the next several months are going to decide if you have a job or not. So I'm 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 I, I'm, so, I'm so terrified of ending on that note. I'm going to say I think it was Churchill who said, you know, the Americans, they try that, try everything and then eventually they do the right thing. So I'm going to cross my fingers. The Fed will do the right thing, but we are putting a lot of hope into a small number of people who are following a playbook from the 1970s. They think they're doing the right thing, and maybe they are, right? Like, And I ain't the one the president wanted at that table, so I don't want to come in, but I watch them, and I care deeply about the institution and the people there. I care even more about the Americans who are going to be affected, uh, so I know they can do the right thing. I know they know what right thing is now but it's it's tough and i would you know more, on a more optimistic note as i said before we're in a pivotal moment disaster is not inevitable i know after the last three years it feels like disaster is inevitable but it's not like there are tools there are good policy decisions congress and the white house there's even been some bipartisan legislation the infrastructure bill the chips act that's bringing back you know some of the production yeah, it hasn't paid off in the world yet. The world is a mess. Mm-hmm. But there are good policy decisions being made that will help Americans. I just want more. Right. Right? Well, I also think, and, I, and here's, a, here's a happy note. Um, I think the Fed hears you. I mean, a lot of the articles that I've re- read this week about the upcoming Fed meeting, yeah, they might have one more big rate, rate hike in their back pocket, but they're starting to hear what you and others are saying that maybe we are going too big too fast. So- you know, thank you for screaming at the top of your lungs. I'd like to thank our guest, Claudia Sam, for carving out time uh, from her busy schedule to join us. If you want to hear more from Claudia, you can follow her on Twitter. Her handle is at Claudia underscore Sam, S-A-H-M, and subscribe to her Substack at stayathomemacro.substack.com. Well, that was a treat. It's not very often that you get to hear from someone who has a forecasting rule named after them. We also got some new economic numbers that showed our economy returned to growth in the third quarter, an annual real rate of growth of 2.6%. It's not great, but it's certainly better than the decline we had seen in the previous two quarters. I recently posted a blog about this on our website, conqueredcoalition.org, called Third Quarter GDP in Seven Charts in which I attempt to show visually what's really happening with our economy. I encourage you to take a look because after all, a picture really is worth a thousand words. So here are my observations from the third quarter GDP report. Number one, economic growth was fueled by three things, consumer spending, a surge in fuel exports, and a big increase in federal defense spending. Number two, this was basically the mirror image of the first quarter, when net exports plummeted and GDP shrank. I found that very interesting. 
Number three, while the economic data showed growth, underneath the headline number, there are some warning signs of a slowdown. In particular, consumer spending, which constitutes more than two-thirds of our economy, has slowed to a trickle and is growing at half the rate it was a year ago. Clearly, consumers are cutting back in the face of high inflation. All that said, the Federal Open Market Committee of the Federal Reserve, the body that controls monetary policy and influences interest rates, will meet to discuss the path of future interest rate increases and the growing possibility of a recession, both here in the United States, but also abroad. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if the slowdown in consumer spending, as well as business investment in the third quarter, will prompt the Federal Reserve to throttle back the pace of future interest rate increases or stay the course to maintain credibility as an inflation-fighting machine. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Be sure to visit ConcordCoalition.org to read my latest blog post, or if you missed any of today's program with Claudia Sam. I'm Tori Gorman, and I've been filling in today for your regular host, Bob Bixby. Join us again next week for another episode of Facing the Future. 